Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we are in week three of our sermon series called Facing Fear. And and as you guys know by now, um, what we're doing in this series is getting into some of the things that the Bible has to teach us about listening to, facing, and then hopefully overcoming all those fears that are keeping us from living in to the life that is truly life. And as as we talked about last week, fear is something we all face almost every single day in, in big ways and in small ways. So we need to learn how to deal it. So um, now that we've kind of worked through the gift of fear in week one and then learned the fear paradigm in week two, um, what I'm going to attempt to do today, which is just as important as all of, all of that, is to show you just how big it is, big a deal it is to allow your fear to win or to allow your fear to keep you from doing what it is that God is calling you to do. And to do that, we're going to turn to Numbers 13. So the major events that kind of lead up to what happens in Numbers 13 is after almost 400 years of the Jewish people living in slavery in Egypt, God shows up, finally shows up in the form of the great prophet Moses to set his people free. And the way God goes about doing this, as most of you know, because you've seen the movie, you've read the book, is through the 10 plagues, the splitting of the Sea of Reeds, and then God leading the people through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land as a pillar of fire and smoke. And the reason why God does all of that is not just to set his people free, but so they can finally settle in the land and the life that God has promised them. Or according to this story, this is kind of the destination. This is where it's been headed all along. So that means what's going on in Numbers 13 is after God sets the Hebrew people free, he leads them through the wilderness to the edge of this promised land that he's about to give them. God is now about to help the nation of Israel begin to take this land, to begin to live into the life that they were meant to live. And the way God goes about doing that is he's going to have Moses send some spies into the land to do some recon work or to get a bit more specific. What Moses tells, or excuse me, God tells Moses to do is to choose 12 different leaders, the best leaders from the 12 different tribes and to send them out to collect all the information that is needed to take the land. Or Moses says this, this is his instructions to them. Go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. Look at the land, oversee what it's like. Assess the people, or are they strong or are they weak? Are they few or are they many? Observe the land. Is it it pleasant or is it harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or are they fortified walls? And their soil, is it fertile? Is it barren? Are there forest? And then for good measure, try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. Or, in other words, for the next 40 days, I want all of you to split up and go all over the land of Canaan, learning everything you can about its inhabitants and the land, along with bringing back some of the produce so the people can not only hear, but taste and see just how good this land really is and this gift that God is trying to give them. And the reason I think God is doing this is because he wants these leaders to, to not just hear about it from him, but to go see for themselves just how amazing this land is so that when they come back, they can help get the entire nation fired up about going in and, and taking this land, right? That's what it's all about. That's where it's headed this whole time, which seems like an amazing plan, right? God's been with them the whole time. It's been amazing. Well, 
even though that's what God was trying to do, that's not what ends up happening. No, instead, in a sense, the plan backfires in that after these men get back from their mission and tell everyone how good the land is, they take a moment and they talk about how good the land is, this is then what they go on and say to everybody. The only thing is the people who live there are fierce and their cities are huge and well fortified. Yet worse, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Or, these leaders, instead of looking at this land and all the people who inhabit it, through the eyes of trusting God and what God has done for them already, they begin to see through the eyes of caution and fear, or the fear of what could happen if they dare do this. How many of you guys know what those eyes of caution and fear are all about? How many of you guys are really good at looking at the world through these lenses? Anybody else? So, uh, of course, what happens after they come and tell the people uh, about this land and everything that's going on there is slowly but surely all that fear uh, begins to seep through, begins to spread through the whole nation of Israel getting all of them to the point where they really don't want anything to do with taking the land back, whether God is with them or not, right? So that's where they're at. But then, but then there's some hope in a last ditch effort to try to get these people to move beyond their fear and to trust God that he will help make this happen. Caleb, one of the two leaders in Israel is not being controlled by his fear. He, he stands up and does this. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. We can do it. Or Caleb, in the midst of all of that fear, as everybody is grumbling and standing around, he stands up and tries to get the people to see that with God's help, they really can do this because with God, anything is possible. But as soon as he gets those words of encouragement and hope out of his mouth, all those leaders who are now being controlled by their fear, they begin to shout even louder, why it is they shouldn't do this. We can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. Then they spread scary rumors among the, the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other, and it's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants. Along them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. So, what these other leaders do in response to Caleb's words of encouragement is they begin to exaggerate all the dangers that the people will face if they choose to do this, if they choose to take this land. Or how many of you have been in an anxious situation, or maybe even yourself have done this, where you begin to exaggerate how big the problem really is so you don't have to do it? Anybody? The rest of you are lying. Right? We, we all do this. This is a natural thing. So what they're doing here is a very natural thing. So of course, what starts to happen when the people hear about this land that is not only full of giants, but it swallows people whole. I don't know what that means. Quicksand. Any of you guys grew up scared of quicksand? Why, why are we scared of quicksand? But anyway, that's kind of what I picture in my mind there. So all of their panic or all of their fear turns into panic. And as you know, as panic sets in, things can get out of control very, very quickly. It goes on to say the whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night longer. These people are so scared that they spent the night crying out to God and weeping for their lives because they didn't want to do this. 
And then as the fear continues to build, and as you guys know, fear doesn't usually stay at one level. It either builds or subsides. Well, it's continuing to build here. And so what happens is they actually start to turn against their leaders, Moses and Aaron and even God. Or it says this, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Their entire community was in on it. Why why didn't we die in Egypt or in the wilderness? Why has God brought us up to this country to kill us? Our wives and our children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and right now? Soon, they were all saying to one another, let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Now, what makes these complaints so strange in the context of this story is that not only are these people starting to talk about how life of slavery is better than being free, which is absolutely bananas, right? But it's like all of a sudden, they have forgotten everything that God has already done for them to get them to this place. Or because fear has come in and taken over, it's like they ignore or just don't see the fact that not that long ago, not only did God set them free from the most powerful empire in the world through the plagues and the parting of the sea and all that stuff, but it's like they've forgotten that even in the wilderness, God has been with them every step of the way, keeping them safe, And ultimately getting them to the place where they're now ready to enter into the promised land. They're now ready to live into the lives that that he has created for them. And yet, even even though all of that happens, the way this story kind of concludes is after Moses and Aaron spend some time calming God down because of these people's lack of faith, God eventually just gives in and gives them exactly what they want. Or instead of forcing them to do something they don't want to do, even if that's what's best for them, which, by the way, is how God works. He's not going to force you to do it. God sends them back out into the wilderness to wander around for the next 40 years or until that generation dies off so that none of the people who were scared to enter the promised land will ever have to face that fear. Now, the part of this story that I really want you guys to see, that I really want to focus on, is how the fear of the Israelites ultimately kept them living into their best possible lives. Do you see that? Well, to see that, really all you have to do is, in your mind's eye, you kind of compare the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness because of their fear to what their lives could have been like if they would have trusted God and, and have been courageous. Because when you do that little thought experiment in your brain, what is brought into focus, at least in my mind, is what it is these people missed out on because of their fear, or how, in a sense, their fear ends up ruining their lives. Or to think through this, we can assume, given all that God has done for his people up to this point, you know, the plagues and the splitting of the sea and all that kind of stuff, that if they would have said yes to going in and taking the promised land, that like God did with the Egyptians, God would have helped them in short order take back the land. And then once God helped them take back the land, we can also assume that God would have been with them as they settled and began to live in that land. Or in other words, we can assume that if the Israelites would have said yes to God instead of allowing their fear to win, what would have happened is after a short time of war, they would have been able to settle in to a life of of safety and protection and abundance or, or, or the kind of life that is full of blessing and joy because that's what God has been trying to give them the whole entire time. That's where the story is supposed to be leading. And yet, because of their fear, these people spend the next 40 years of their life, the rest of their lives, wandering around in the wilderness where eventually they're all going to die before making it to the promised land. 
which is a pretty dramatic difference in lives choosing between fear and not fear. And what all of that, I think, brings to light for you and I in our own lives is how fear actually has the power to rob us of the best parts of our own lives. In that, when it comes to those big, difficult decisions we all have to make, if we allow fear to have its way, then just like the Israelites, it could cost us immensely. It could cost us everything. Or to try to help you see this in a bit more practical way, let me walk you through a counterfactual example that most of you have lived, even though you don't even know you've lived it. So, what if we, as the first Christian church of Great Bend, Kansas, instead of being bold and courageous five years ago and creating a new modern service, what if we chose the way of fear? Or what if we chose, like most other churches, not to take that risk because of what could have happened? Well, of course, we can't know this for sure, right? Because it's counterfactual information. But generalizing from what continues to happen in churches throughout the country who are not willing to take risk... I think it's safe to assume at this point as a congregation, we might be averaging, might be averaging somewhere between 100 and 125 people instead of being closer to 330 and growing. What also goes along with that is, you know, all the success and growth we have experienced in every area of our church because of what we've done, like our youth and children's ministry and our Bible studies and our FCC family night, just to name a few things. Yeah, all of that wouldn't even be close to what it is today if we didn't live courageously as a church. And also it can be assumed we wouldn't have near the budget that we have today. And if you don't have the budget that you have today, we wouldn't have all the staff that we have that do such an amazing job. And you guys know what happens if you don't have the right staff. And, and the other thing that kind of came to my mind is, I wonder if I would even still be here. Which is an interesting thought, right? Well, what all of that puts into perspective is where we would be as a church if we allowed our fear to win. Or it shows just how much power fear can have in our lives, which, as you can see, is a huge deal that it's affected hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. Or to really see this, for those of you who are new to the church in, in the last five years, I want you to raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? In the service in the back, I asked that same question, and um, I think 95% of the people raised their hands, right? So there's only five people from our original when we started all of this stuff. And the reason these people are here, the reason we are thriving in so many different ways is because we got courageous. We felt the fear and did it anyway. And the reason I bring that up today, not only to help you guys understand how important um, or how powerful fear is in our own lives, because the truth is, here in the next couple of months, we've got another decision to make, right? Are we going to expand? We, we are blowing out the back. We don't have enough room in our 11 o'clock service to keep up with all the people. So the question becomes, are we going to come together as a congregation? Are we going to be bold again and begin to expand, begin to reshape and form this church so that we can minister to more? Or will we choose the path of fear? Ultimately, it's, it's not my decision. It's going to be up to all of you. Okay, so, so now that you guys get all of that, let me just leave you with this for your own lives. 
The, the next time you face one of those big, hairy decisions in life that it's going to fill you with fear, and that might be tomorrow, it might be two weeks from now, it might be a month, but you're going to face it. It's just life. What I hope for you is instead of taking time just to consider what it might cost you to say yes or what it is that you're getting yourself into when you say yes to facing that fear, I also want to encourage you to take some time to think about what it might cost you to say no or what it might cost you to allow fear to win. And then based on that and a whole lot of prayer, it is my hope that when God calls you to do something, that you, no matter how scary it may be, you will choose to live a courageous life. You will choose to feel the fear and do it anyway. So ultimately, you don't miss out on everything that God has for you. So do you guys see that? Do you see how important that is? How many of you might know someone who, because of fear, have been living a life that they just settled for? Any of you know anybody like that? And then how many of you have seen people who have faced their fears and gone on to do great things that are making a huge difference in the world? Anybody? So it's up to all of you. It's up to all of you. Are you going to be courageous? Or are you going to allow fear to win? Let us pray. Father, um, for me, this, this sermon really speaks to my heart because fear is so prevalent in my life, and I know it's prevalent in all of our lives. It's a thing we face and, and deal with every single day. But help us today to see, oh Lord, maybe fear in a bit different way. To see um, that oftentimes choosing the easy way out or choosing not to face our fears is not the best thing for us. But instead being bold, feeling the fear and doing it anyway is what gets us to the place we ultimately want to be, the place that you have created for us to be. So, Lord, we, we just pray today that we'll be able to see that and not only see it, but we pray that you show up and give us the courage we need, the, the, the strength that we need to face anything, to overcome anything, so we can be a people who truly do live the incredible life, a people devoted to bringing heaven to earth in all we do. Lord, we ask this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.